We have been in a study that we're calling snagged. Like when, when something grabs a hold of you, like a, like a fish hook and pulls you where it wants to go. And sometimes our emotions can do that. Sometimes things, attitudes, and difficult feelings can just pull us and we have to find a way to get a hold of them or they'll just lead us far away from where we want to go. And a couple weeks ago, around the time of the anxiety lesson, Kylie and I were talking about how it's not one or two or three of us that go through these things. This is something that, that we all face, these issues. But when you're going through it, it can feel really lonely. And so we talked about how, you know, there's a lot of people who here who have wisdom, who can offer encouragement. And you may have noticed that we've started this year a little bit more having some interactive ways of everybody mutually edifying one another for the body to build up the body. So back there on the bulletin board, you may notice a new interactive space and... Evie and Adrian made these really cool little cards that match our, our branding there for the snagged, and they're blank inside. And my request is for all of us, there's only 24 of these, so as many of you as are able to think about what you would want to say to someone who is struggling with anxiety or with anger or, or just some, some of these difficult situations. It might be some encouragement, might be some wisdom, might be a Bible verse, and just, just offer it in here. Dear brother or sister, here you go, or just, just put the verse in there or whatever it is. And hopefully, a week from now, I'm hoping that that'll start to get really filled up with these little cards just tacked up there. These are found in the basket hanging right next to the bulletin board. So this is the bulletin board on your way back to the restrooms. So just want to encourage you to think about what you have to say and, and maybe start filling that in right after services and, and throughout the next week or so. So as we finish up this series for this, at least this run of it, maybe we'll come back to this and, and deal with some other things. We want to talk about being snagged by resentment. Resentment. Boy, that's no fun. And it's interesting, anger and resentment, as you'll see, are really closely related to each other. But I feel like dealing with them is very different. You know, last week we talked about anger, and it's kind of like navigating anger. Like it's a driver's manual, how to get through and, and drive and, and make it through this anger and get to a, a proper destination without crashing. But when we talk about resentment, it's a different situation. It's more like healing a wound that has started to get infected, that has not been tended for a while. And so we're going to get into this idea of healing. And, and I got to tell you, for this lesson to have the effect that, that it should, for God's word to, to touch your life, you're going to have to prayerfully reflect on where these things connect with the wounds in your life, with the hurts, with the difficulties, with the situations that didn't seem fair 
to you didn't seem right. Maybe someone that you trusted mistreated you in some way. Maybe, maybe life just didn't seem, things just aren't going the way they should. The word should is usually a good thing because it describes usually what we think is the morally right thing. You should do this. But there is a no good should. <laughs> and the no good should is whenever we start to say that the way things are is so not right that we then have the right to resent it. You know, they shouldn't have done that. And I'm just going to stew on how they shouldn't have done that. Or it shouldn't be that way. I work harder than anybody. I should be the one that gets the raise. He treated me wrong and that shouldn't have happened, you know? And, and so we have to watch out for that because usually it sounds like it's coming from this place of justice. I care about the right thing happening, but really it's getting us stuck. I think for some reason, all men or most men are obsessed with World War II. I don't know why that is, but there's something about World War II that maybe it's this clear evil and good sense of it. Um, it's all the stories of battles that we've heard. And one of the most famous days in that Second Great War was in 1944, whenever Canadian and American and British forces stormed the beach beaches of Normandy, and it's called D-Day. And you may not have thought before about why that day was so important. What makes that day the day that changed the war? And the simple answer is it gave the Allied forces a critical European foothold. It gave them a place to stage the rest of their battles into the rest of Europe. And that was their goal. That was the prime goal, was to get a foothold on shore that day. A foothold is just that. It's an encampment in enemy territory where you can start to campaign and build your strategy from. So this should concern us when we get to Ephesians 4, 26 to 27, this passage that we looked at last week where it talks about, don't let your sun go, the sun go down on your anger and give the devil a foothold or give the devil an opportunity, give the devil space, room to work, give the devil a, a space in the territory of your heart from which to work his campaigns. And so we talked about this last week from the, the idea of let's deal with it quickly, but what if you don't? What if you don't deal well, deal properly, deal swiftly and promptly with those issues, with those pains and problems? What happens? They start to create Bitterness, right? We know what bitterness is, like that taste, that acrid, harsh, sharp taste. 
that a little bit is okay if you got some sweet to go with it. But man, you don't want to just have all bitter all the time. And so Paul says in that passage, that, continuing on in Ephesians 4, that passage I was just talking about, a passage we focused on last week, to get rid of all bitterness. And then he talks about a bunch of other terms for anger. Get rid of it. Let it go. And the, the, the idea of bitterness has been compared to a lot of things. Resentment and bitterness. Maya Angelou says, bitterness is like cancer. It eats upon the host. Well, Malachi McCourt said, bitterness is like taking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Oh, this will get them. I'm just going to stew here. If they only knew how much, how much anger I have for them. And it's just eating you up. I mean, it can destroy you. There has been a, a surprising amount of medical research on how much resentment and bitterness affects a person and how it ages you and hurts you. There's been a, a lot of work done recently in the last, I don't know, decade on, on uh, how healing in neurobiology, in neuroscience, how healing forgiveness is. But bitterness will kill us. One doctor in his book, uh, None of These Diseases, said that, that he told a patient, if you don't cut out your resentments, I may have to cut out your intestinal tract. This is destructive to our bodies. More importantly, it is destructive to our souls. Because the Lord says not to have any darkness. Not to have any root of bitterness in us. Not to have this heart that hardens against people. And to be forgiving if we want other people, if we want God to forgive us. I have a different comparison. Bitterness is like toxic mold. We, we had, last year I think, we discovered some black mold from our, coming through the water seeping through our basement into the uh, outer wall, into the basement floor, and we had to have people come in, spend a lot of money getting it cleaned up. But man, that stuff does not want to go away. And you might think, well, we're just going to cover it up, put a blanket over it, leave it in the closet, leave it where we don't go very often to that area of the room, wherever it is. And if we just ignore it, it shouldn't affect anything. But it keeps growing. This toxic mold until it's poisoned the air through the whole house. And that's what resentment does to us. It can feel like the, the best thing is to just put it away, ignore it, avoid it. Act like it's not there. Act like this relationship is okay, even though every time you see this person, you feel something that isn't good in you. But it's eating at you. 
It's destroying something more precious than your intestinal tract. We have to deal with it. Three different targets for resentment. The main one we're going to focus on is others. We can be bitter towards others. And maybe it feels justified because they hurt us first. But we've got to deal with it when that's our target. But also situations can make us bitter. We can resent things that are happening in our lives or that have happened in the past. And sometimes, even more dangerous, this can lead people to start to resent God. Start to act like Job's wife in Job 2 verse 9. Don't you curse God and die? This situation is so awful. We can even have resentment towards ourselves. We did what we should not have done, and we hate ourselves for it. We're so angry at ourselves for it. And we just carry that with us. As I said, we're going to focus mostly on this, this first one because it's so much of the issue on resentment that's caused by and it's targeted towards others. But we'll deal at the end a little bit with these last two. And the first thing, the main thing here we got to focus on is when someone, when you're angry with someone, what did Paul say? Don't let the sun go down on it. You've got to talk to people. We have to find the courage and the love to go and talk to the person that has offended us, that has hurt us. Got to do it. Jesus says in Matthew 18 and verse 15, that if somebody sins against you, you go and talk. Not to the elders first, not to your mom or your best friend. You go and talk to that person. Are there times when you can, you can overlook a matter? You know, it's not a, it's, it's not a big issue. It's not a sin I can just let that go. You know what? It irritated me that this person was late for our meeting, but what's the big deal? I don't need to have a whole confrontation about it. Of course, of course. Proverbs 19 says it is a glory to overlook a matter. You know, you could, you could be, the, the Bible, the New Testament word for it is forbearance. We forbear each other. We don't we don't have to jump up and have a difficult conversation about every single little thing that happens. But too often we say, oh, I, I think I'll be big enough to just not talk about it. And then we hang on to it and we fester. Or it's something that does need to be talked about. This person needs to know. Because of their soul or because of your relationship. This is an issue. And what we're seeking is reconciliation. We are peacemakers. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5. We are peacemakers by going and talking to people. By having that care that it takes to say, I'm going to speak the truth in love. I'm going to... I'm not going to come to you shouting. I'm going to try my best 
to have the best attitude I can about this. I'm going to try to be tender-hearted about it. But we're going to talk about it. Interesting. It's interesting. Look with me at Luke chapter 17. Now, everywhere else that I've seen in Scripture where, where we're commanded to forgive, or Jesus commands, Paul commands, etc., there, there's this statement of forgive anyone who asks. Forgive anybody. For, if, if anybody offends you, if anybody sins against you, Mark, Mark 11, 25, Colossians 3. But look at this passage. And here in Luke 17, verse 3, pay attention to yourself. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. First of all, the emphasis of the passage is that last part. It doesn't matter how many, you might think that is a ridiculous number of times for you to keep forgiving this guy. How many times are they going to come and say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done it. You know, that's 70 times. Come on, man. This is ridiculous. But you keep forgiving. God keeps forgiving us. But what's the deal with this, this idea of if he repents, you forgive him. Is Jesus saying here that if someone doesn't come and confess their sin to you and repent and ask for forgiveness, that you just carry that grudge with you? You just harden and hate them and get so angry and bitter towards them. Is that the point? Of course not. Of course that's not what he's saying. I think here's the point. Reconciliation, real forgiveness that brings peace only can come when the other person repents. It only comes that way. You, you, you can't have somebody who abused you and say, well, I... I forgave them, so now we're just super close. It doesn't work that way. They need to know what they did, and, and you need to have a tender enough heart to where you, in spite of all of that, are ready to fully forgive them. And the mercy and the love is there no matter what, even if they don't repent. But real forgiveness only comes, that reconciling forgiveness Whenever they turn, you know, think of Stephen. Stephen, first of all, not a softy, <laughs> right? If you've read Acts chapter 7, you know Stephen goes at all of the Jews. He stands down everybody in Jerusalem. And he says at the end of it, after giving a 50-verse sermon about their rebellion against God's anointed, he says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised of heart and ears, you reject God's prophets just like you always have. And they decided they've got to kill him. And they rage against him. And right before he is killed, 
there's these two contrasting verses there in, in Acts 7, between verses 55 and 60, where you see he looks up and sees Jesus at the right hand of God and says, Lord, receive my spirit. And they want to seize on him. And then he says, Lord, don't hold this against them. Lord, pardon them for this. There's so much for us to see in this, right? The contrast between those two groups of people. Here is the real temple of God, is God with his people. He sees Jesus. This is holiness. God at work in grace and love and courage and righteous speaking of the truth, right? Did he have a merciful, forgiving heart? Yes. Were they reconciled? No, they're about to kill him. They did kill him. You know, so this, there's these two different things that we sometimes conflate those two ideas. So it's important to understand that because I think that really helps us to get what we are responsible to do. Because you can't reconcile with everybody. Be at peace with everyone, Paul says in Romans 12, as much as it depends on you. So we have to get to the root of the issue. Let there be no root of bitterness, Hebrews 12 says. Well, let's get to the root or else it will bear fruit that is bitter. Like water from a source upstream that has a dead animal in it. We have to go clean it out so the water is pure. Avoidance can feel so noble, but avoidance is not forgiveness. And if they repent, we need to tell them. You need to tell them. I need to tell them. I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you for what you just said. We need to have that personal, we need to be the ambassador of reconciliation, that personal builder of that. And if we are the offender, this is Matthew 5 again, we talked about last week, we need to go, drop your offering, go make it right. Go ask for forgiveness. Go work it out. There is so much power in these three words. I forgive you. Those are not proud, lorded over words. Those are healing words. Those are hard words to say whenever you've been, and, and mean. <laughs> you need to mean it. You need to commit to it. You need to say, this is what I choose to do. You might not feel all close to them, but you are choosing to give it up, to pardon the offense, to let it go. Forgiveness is not saying it's okay. Forgiveness is not agreeing to make yourself vulnerable to them. Forgiveness is not minimizing the hurt or excusing them from responsibility. But forgiveness is freeing yourself, first of all, but, but letting go of the issue. And in that personal connection, that personal reconciliation, it's freeing them from the burden of carrying that guilt. You don't bring it up again the next week. It's gone. 
So Paul said, as we mentioned, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and all these things be put away. And what did he say to replace it with? He says, be kind to one another, the next verse, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Tenderhearted. This is the opposite of hardness. Be tender. Be soft. Not, not soft as in weak, but to have a heart that is merciful, compassionate, that offers empathy, that can shift perspectives to see a real person that Jesus died for, a person made in the image of God, a flawed person, uh, one that didn't do the right thing, someone who sinned against you, all of those things. You're not saying it's okay, but you're seeing them and you're choosing to respond in the way that God responded to you. And that's what the next two verses say. Be imitators of God and do what Christ did who offered himself for us. We forgive a greater debt than we could ever forgive. And so 1 Corinthians 13, in the same vein, says, love is not resentful. Love, more literally, doesn't reckon wrongs, doesn't count, doesn't keep the books on the wrongs that are committed. Love doesn't do that. This is the same word that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians to describe what God does for us. He doesn't reckon because of Jesus' sacrifice, doesn't reckon our sins. He doesn't count or, or look at these, these sins. He doesn't count them up. We need to not be resentful. We need to respond with love. And Jesus, of course, paints a powerful picture of what that looks like. Love towards enemies in Matthew 5 and in Luke 6. A different kind of love. Not that super sweet, everything feels good love, but a love that seeks the best of some of everyone, like, like God did. Whenever you stand praying, Jesus said, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. That's the stakes of this commandment. And so what do we say? We have this tender, merciful heart before God, regardless of of what they do, we can pray as Stephen did, as Jesus did. Father, forgive them. Don't hold this against them. That is our desire. We seek mercy for them. And we're told again and again, Jesus says this, and Paul says this, and Peter says this, to bless those who curse us. Bless means to pray for good. Father, please bless them with your grace and goodness. These two prayers, if you just keep praying them, have a heart-changing ability, heart-changing effect. We are seeking for God. We're working out before God the good of these people. And that can free us, whether they repent or not. We seek the good of everyone, but we also accept God's justice towards everyone. And that can be a hard thing, but it can also be a freeing thing that helps us to stay tenderhearted towards them. David, whenever he had cut off the garment, you remember that from Saul, 
when Saul was in the cave and Saul went back out and David felt bad because he was the Lord's anointed. And he says, look what I did. I, I could have killed you. I'm not trying to kill you. Why are you chasing me? Why are you trying to kill me? And he said, the Lord judge between you and me. The Lord will avenge. I will not harm you. The Lord judge between us. The Lord is trustworthy to do it. It's a good illustration of what Paul is saying in Romans 12, 17 to 21, right? To let the Lord, give the Lord room to do vengeance. God will bring justice. You don't have to do it. That belongs to God. God will bring vengeance. And so it gives us the freedom to desire mercy, to desire for them to see what they've done, to see how they've hurt maybe a loved one of ours and be heartbroken about it and repent and receive all of the goodness and the healing that comes from Jesus because of it. But if they don't, God will work that out too. And the stakes of that kind of vengeance and justice, you know that saying, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy? I mean, uh, the idea of eternal death, of eternal separation, of, of the idea of hell is an awful, awful idea. And may we always want everyone, even our worst enemy, to come to repentance. If they don't, God will bring the perfect blend of mercy and justice, and he will make it right. You don't have to fight for yourself. There's so much we could talk about in all of this, but in regards to this idea that everything goes wrong sometimes and it doesn't, life doesn't feel fair and tempted and tried, we're off made to wonder why it should be thus all the day long. Jesus said something interesting, something that's helped me through the years in John 21, whenever he says to Peter, Peter is asking him, why he seems, in this cryptic statement of Jesus, it seems that he is going to die in this, this awful way. And Jesus didn't say that about John. And Peter says, well, what about him? What's going to happen to him? And Jesus says, if, if he stays here, if he stays alive until I come back, what's that to you? You do what? Follow me. You keep your eyes on me. The same instruction we see over and over again throughout the New Testament. Colossians 3.23. Servants who maybe aren't treated the best by their masters are told to serve not with eye service but with their whole heart because they're serving Jesus. You follow me. Don't worry about what they do. You follow me. Whatever else happens in this crazy world, whatever is going on all around us. If you're like me, you have a hard time maybe turning on the TV and not getting infected by the bitterness or the social media or wherever. Whatever else is going on around us, we've got to keep our eyes on Jesus. 
walk with trust that he knows what's going on with us. He'll lead us faithfully. We can be grateful for the gifts that he does have if we look around. When we don't understand what's happening, we just keep walking with him and know we'll understand it all by and by. Or we won't, but we can trust God. All, we can trust Jesus 100% to be faithful and bless us now and into eternity. And we trust him whenever we have done something that maybe we are, are ashamed of or angry with ourselves about, when we are just so frustrated with ourselves. Again, look to Jesus. Let him teach you how to see yourself. Are you worthy of what he did? Of course not. He did it anyway. Because he loves you more than you love yourself. He loves you more than anyone else. And he forgives you if you just turn to him. You just turn to him. And say, I'm with you. Whatever you say, Lord, that's where I go. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to walk with you.